God with you and proclaim God's truth with you. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it's my privilege this morning to share God's Word with you. And as we launch into this conversation today, I've got to bring you back to my younger years, specifically my junior year in high school, and it was the springtime. And I was making one of the most important decisions anyone can make when they are a junior in high school, and it was not, where will I go to college, and what am I going to do with the rest of my life? The question, the decision that I had to make was, who am I going to take to prom? Now, at this point in time, I wasn't dating anyone, so I literally had to think through and choose. And when you were a junior in high school, this is the most important decision. And it's a very terrifying decision. Because if you ask the wrong person, they might say no, and you'll be embarrassed forever. But if you ask the right person, maybe it'll change your life forever. And so I sat down, and I thought, for, thought about it for a number of weeks, and I, I finally had the person I was going to ask, and so I, I grabbed my phone, and I was going to make the phone call. Now remember, this was not 2022. There were no cell phones. It was a long time ago, and so I grabbed my corded rotary phone, and I started dialing. Now here is the problem. Even though she went to my school, she lived in the neighboring town, and for some reason, it was long distance to call our neighboring town. So I had 10 digits to work through, and I started dialing. One, click. Five, click, 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 click. Zero, click, 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 right? I made my way all the way through the 10 digits, and by that time, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was so nervous. With each click, it just got worse. And finally, I heard that familiar noise, which meant that I could actually talk to somebody, right? Someone is going to maybe answer but that brought a whole nother level of terror. Because in that time, right, no cell phones, it was a landline, anyone could answer, which means her dad could answer, her mom could answer, her older brother could answer, her older sister could answer, right? Anyone but her could answer. So I hope that maybe she would be the one to actually pick up the phone. And so finally there was a voice on the other side, a familiar voice, but it wasn't her. It was the voice of my third grade teacher because her mom was my third grade teacher. And so at that point in time, she said, hello. And I said, could I talk to Stephanie? She said, who is this? I said, Ben Anderson. At that point in time, I thought of every wrong thing I'd done when I was in third grade. <laughs> and I thought, she's never going to give this phone to her daughter. But she did. And so Stephanie answered the phone, and we talked for a little bit. And I asked her to prom, and she said the words that every high school young man wants to hear when they ask somebody to prom. She said, I'll think about it. <laughs> so we went back to school the next day, walked past her in the hall, nothing. Right, no inkling of hope, nothing's happening. And finally, at the end of the day, she said, yes. We went to prom, we became boyfriend and girlfriend for two years. We dated all the way through my freshman year in college. But that's when it got complicated. Because she was still a senior in high school, I was two hours away, and it was just complicated. The communication was hard. Getting connected was hard. Going back and seeing her was hard. And finally, we both knew it was time to bring this relationship to a close. And that's when the last words were said. Now, we all have moments like this. We all have moments when the story comes to a close, the relationship comes to a close, the job comes to a close, maybe even a life comes to a close. But in those moments when we know it is the end, Every word seems so important. 
And every word just kind of gets ingrained into our hearts and ingrained into our minds. And so as we work through this last series of mine, this two-part series called The Last Words, you'll be hearing some of the last words that I'll be saying to you as lead pastor here at New Life. But more importantly than that, we will be exploring the last words that Jesus shared with his disciples. And this is how Luke records it. He begins this way. He says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So here's the picture that we're stepping into. The disciples are all gathered together, and they're recounting everything that has happened to them in life, right? They're thinking back to that initial conversation with Jesus where he said, come follow me. And one by one, they said yes. And they left their jobs, and they left their homes, and they left their families, right? They left everything they knew to follow Jesus, and they expected to follow Jesus forever. They remembered all the stories and all the interactions and all the miracles. They remember the transfiguration, which we celebrate today in the church, right? They remembered it all. And they remember that fateful day when Jesus was falsely accused, and they thought for sure this would never stick, but he was falsely accused, and then he was convicted, and then he was put on a cross and died. And that's when the disciples thought they heard Christ's last words. When he hung on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And for these disciples, it was finished, but not like Jesus was implying. It was how they were hearing it, right? Their hopes and dreams, their plans for the future, they were finished, right? In fact, these disciples thought they were finished, right? They thought their life was on the line. It was all done. It was over. Their faith was gone. Their trust was gone. Their belief was gone. They had given up hope. But then three days later, there were these rumors. There were these stories that Jesus was back. Now, of course, those are easy to explain away because in people's griefs, we make up all sorts of things. We think we hear and see things we don't see, right? They're just thinking, it's just hysteria. But all of a sudden, Jesus was right in front of them. In the midst of these conversations, there's Jesus standing in front of them. And what would they think is happening? Well, this is what Luke says, they thought. Well, they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So Jesus stands in front of them in his physical form. And, and what do they think? Well, they think it's a ghost right? That's how they explain it away. Other people have been filled with grief, and they thought they saw stuff and heard stuff, and there was this hysteria around Jesus, and he was so popular. Of course, people made up stories, but now he was standing there, and how are they going to explain this? Well, it must be a ghost, right? His, his spirit is there, but his body is still rotting in the grave, and so as they're thinking this, Jesus says, why don't you believe that I'm actually standing here? Right? I'm standing right in front of you. Why don't you get this? Which seems like a kind of rough question, because intellectually, if you saw this, right, if you had a spouse that had passed or a friend that had passed and all of a sudden they were standing in front of you, you would think, it's a ghost, right? But remember, before this, Jesus on many occasions had been very clear with his disciples. He said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back and rise from the dead. Right? I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. He said this to them 
many, many, many times. So this question was a very valid question, right? Why do you doubt? I already told you what was going to happen. But Jesus didn't want to leave them in their doubt, and so this is what he does. He says, look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now Jesus, knowing their thoughts and knowing they thought, hey, he's a ghost, also realized that what they thought about ghosts is that ghosts are not material, right? So if you were to try to touch a ghost, you would go right through a ghost. We've all seen this on TV or movies before, right? So he knows they're thinking this. So what does he do? He says, come and touch me. What he does is he tries to get them to implement the scientific method that you learned when you were junior in high school. Now, if you're not a high school teacher, you probably don't remember the scientific method. So let me walk you through it really quick so we can all remember. It goes this way. There's six parts. It says question, right? That's the first step. The second step is research. The third step is hypothesis. The fourth step is experiment. The fifth step is analyze. And then you communicate the outcome. So Jesus says, touch me, right? Let's, let's go through this process together. The first question, of course, is, is he real, right? Is he actually physically there? Now, they're starting with a premise, aren't they? You cannot touch ghosts. And so the experiment is very simple. Let's try to touch him, right? The hypothesis is, if we can touch him, he's real. If we can't touch him, he's a ghost. And so then they go into experiment mode, and he reaches out. They reach out. And they touch Jesus. And then the rest of the disciples, they touch Jesus. And they look around and said, did you guys just experience what we experienced? Because we all touched him, and he was solid. He seems very real. And so the outcome, of course, is he is real. But yet, these disciples, they don't believe. Now, just as a side note, if you've ever heard that Christianity is anti-science or just blind faith, this is the moment that Jesus had solidified himself with these disciples. He's not saying, don't touch me, you just got to believe, have blind faith. He's actually working them through this, this method, scientific method that we all learned, right? Come and touch and feel and see if this is real. And he's not done. He continues. While in their joy, they were still disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? See, as they continue in this conversation, they still don't believe. They're still thinking that he's a ghost. And what do they know about ghosts? Well, they know that ghosts can't eat food. And so they're in this moment, and Jesus says, once again, I, I want to prove this to you beyond the shadow of a doubt. And so he works through the process. The big question is, is he real? They do the research. We think in our minds ghosts can't eat food, right? And we've all seen this in a cartoon, right? They eat the food, it falls right through. And so they work through this whole process. They develop their hypothesis. If he can eat food, he's real. If he can't eat food, he is a ghost. And this is what they do next. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So they gave him the food and put him to a test, and what does he do? He eats the food, and they look around. Did everyone see him actually eat this food? And they all nod in agreement, right? And so the outcome is, he is real, but yet they don't believe that Jesus isn't done. 
He goes on and says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I still was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So, so far, the touching wasn't good enough and the eating wasn't good enough. So he takes them to prophecy. And prophecy is really the key that unlocks even the most hardened skeptic's heart. These prophecies from the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, over 500 to 1,000 years old. That's older than our nation, to give you some context, right? 300 very precise predictions about what the Messiah would be and what Jesus would be like. And Jesus points to these prophecies and says, if you don't believe touching me, if you don't believe me eating, then believe this. If I match up with every one of these prophecies, I am exactly who I say I am. I am real, and I have the power over death and the grave, and I'm standing right here. So that's what he does. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So he sits down with them, wanting them to know that he is real and what is said about him is truly real. And he goes through every one of these prophecies, explains to them that he is the Messiah, he is Emmanuel, he is God in the flesh. These very precise prophecies. In fact, if you're here today and you're wondering, well, how, how precise are these prophecies? There was actually a professor, Dr. Stoner, and he was the, the chairman of mathematics at Pasadena College. And he sat down with that same question, right? What is the probability of someone fulfilling these prophecies? And this is, this is what he did. He sat down with some colleagues and he took out just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. And he looked at the likelihood, the probability of someone, just one person, fulfilling just eight of the over 300. And what he came to believe and what he, he taught then after that point in time is the probability of someone fulfilling just eight of these prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you are a math person, that means a lot to you. If you're not a math person like me, it means really not much to you. So let me give you a visual picture. Let's strike a little bit closer to home so we understand this. Imagine our home state of Illinois. Right? Imagine someone bringing in a pile of silver dollar coins and stacking them side by side next to each other across the entire state, right? No square inch is left uncovered. Silver dollars everywhere. And then they build that stack 10 feet deep. Now, I come along or you come along and you write your initials on just one of those coins and then you throw it into the middle somewhere among this stack covering the whole state 10 feet deep and then you blindfold a friend and say, walk around Illinois and grab a coin, and then show me the coin when you pick it up. If you were to walk around Illinois, 10 feet deep of silver coins, and grab the coin with the initials on it, that's the same probability of someone fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfilled all 300 of these prophecies. Now you understand why this is more powerful than touching Jesus or even watching him eat. They were convinced, and we should be convinced of this as well. But Jesus wasn't done. He goes on to give them one more proof. He says, you are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. 
So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. So the final proof that Jesus is going to give to these disciples is the Holy Spirit, which is going to radically transform their life. At Pentecost, they were indwelt and infilled with the Holy Spirit, and they saw people's lives transformed in an instant. See, Jesus wanted them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was real, he was really standing in front of them, and he truly was who he said he was. You see, the last words that we have, the last words that we say to people towards our closing moments are so important. And this is where Jesus decided to land. He wanted to tell them and prove to them beyond a shadow of doubt that he was who he said he was. This is where Luke closes. Well, he was blessing them. He withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. So after proving this to him, he ascends into heaven and leaves them, which seems so strange to me, because you, you would think in a moment like this, and after he's proved himself and solidified himself with his disciples, that he would go around the whole world doing the same thing around the whole nation, right? Just going on this tour and saying, touch me, watch me eat. Uh, let me show you the prophecies and prove to you that I fulfill all of them. Let me do some miracles. But instead, he leaves them, right? He ascends into heaven and leaves them behind after proving himself to them. These were the last words of Jesus Christ. These were the last words, and he knew they would be the last words, so why would he tell his disciples these words? Why would he spend so much energy and so much time proving himself before ascending into heaven? Because he knew these disciples are just like us. They had no idea what was next, and he wanted them to hold on to something that was permanent through all the ups and downs of life. So my... Um, Relationship came to a close, my high school relationship, and I found myself sitting on the stoop of my third grade teacher's home with my girlfriend at the time, soon not to be my girlfriend at the time, and we were sharing our last words. And I remember them like they were yesterday, because when it comes to our last words, when we know it's coming to an end, they just get ingrained in our mind. So I sat there, and I looked at her, I said, we're both very young, and I don't know if we know what love is, but if, I, if we do, I, I feel like this is what it is. However, this isn't working out, and I think we both know this. I think we both know our story is coming to a close, and we both nodded in agreement. We hugged goodbye. I got in my white Chrysler Baron. It was very nice, and I drove all the way back to college and cried for two straight hours, managed to actually stay on the road, and I cried because I didn't know what the future held. I thought that maybe I would never feel this way again. But I did have this trust in a God who I knew was very real, who really cared, and would be with me during the ups and downs of life. And little did I know that eight years later, I would make a friend. Her name would be Ashley. And we'd date for two years, get engaged for one year, which would lead to three dogs, four kids, and 10 years of marriage. You see, we never know what the future holds. 
These disciples had no idea what the future held. When Jesus ascended into heaven, you know what they're thinking, right? It's, it's over. We're never going to be able to carry this torch. But Jesus wanted them to know one thing to hold on to through all the ups and downs of their life, that he was real and he was truly with them. Little did these disciples know that as they moved through these areas, they would have this amazing impact in the world. That when they would leave, more people would have an impact because the stories that they told and thousands of people, millions of people, would get connected to Jesus Christ. That churches would be built all around the world. That the Bible would be translated into almost every language on the face of the planet. In fact, in a couple years, one of our ministry partners Faith comes by hearing they have a goal to get the word of God onto their tiny little MP3 player so that every person can hear the Bible in their native tongue because not everyone has a written language in their language. These disciples had no idea what was coming. All they knew was that Jesus was real and through the difficulties of life, they were to cling on to him. In this moment in our church story, we're stepping into the unknown. My family's stepping into the unknown. Right? We're moving to Minnesota. We're leaving behind friends and, and family and a church that we have just grown to love. And there's a lot of apprehension, right? We don't see the future. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the future is for here or, or for us or anything. But this is what we do know. And this is what Jesus did. In times where we don't know what's next, and the world just seems like it's just this big mess, or, or we don't know the path that's laid out in front of us, he had his disciples, he has us, cling on to this central truth. That no matter what comes down the road, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us in the flesh. Jesus is real, and Jesus can be really, truly trusted. No matter what happens, no matter what the future holds, Jesus is still on the throne. Let's pray.